Welcome to Business Unmuted, sponsored by Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb. I've owned Recognition PR for nearly 35 years. We've got 75 clients in multiple sectors based across the UK, and between them they have a turnover of around £6 billion and employ around 30,000 staff. So we're at the front line of the business community, perfectly placed to discuss the economic climate and what business is up to. Today, we're joined by Casey Woodward, founder and CEO of AgriSound, a biotech company from York. And in business, we know that community engagement is very important. So today, we've got two charity leaders joining us. Down the line, we've Michelle Cooper, Chief Executive of the County Durham Community Foundation, which provides grants to community-focused charities that are placed to fight poverty, among other things. And in the studio, we've got Helen Hunter, the CEO of Age UK, Darlington and North Yorkshire. So thank you, and thank you all for joining us for this edition of Business and Music. First, Casey, your business is a really interesting case study in what the future of tech businesses is because it's applied to a sector which is very traditional farming. Tell us what you do. Thanks. So what we do here at AgriSound is we develop technologies that can be used by anyone but we techno we, we focus on farmers and landowners to uh, use smart sound analysis to monitor insects in the environment and we do that to help provide real-time information on biodiversity which is something that's is increasingly of interest in CSR agendas. Okay, we'll, we'll explore how it benefits the farmers and the, and the society in general in a minute, but what is it that you actually sell to them? So we have some unique hardware which we sell, uh, which we lovingly call uh, an Amazon Alexa for bees. <laughs> um, but uh, alongside that, there is a data subscription that, that goes uh, with that product and that enables the end user to access all of the algorithms that we've developed in our um, data analytics platform so they can see all of the information in real time on their smartphone. So if, if a farmer uh, buys this uh, platform and this technology, uh, mm -hmm. how will it operate and what will be the benefits? So the product um, is really easy to install. They, they install them in their in their orchard or in their farm or you know wherever they would like. Um, and then there's one switch on the on the product itself. So we, we turn the product on, and then it's it's operational. And so what that device is doing is listing out for the sounds of pollinators twenty four seven, so three hundred sixty five days a year. And what that that device is doing is is giving you a, a picture of kind of what's happening in terms of the pollinators in that local area. And that information is really important, actually, because what we can use that information for is to improve crop yields. Um, we can use it to improve crop quality as well. And we, this, ultimately, we do this by getting bees and pollinators into the right place at the right time. Right. Now, the uh, societal benefit of that is, is, is environmental, isn't it? What, what's the benefit to everyone if farmers were to adopt this technology across the board? Well, uh, I think every, hopefully everyone knows that pollinators are undergoing a bit of a tough time at the moment you know we're seeing kind of record levels of, of um, extinction events for for pollinator species and, and they really need um, much more help than we're currently able to provide and so the, the whole rationale behind the technology was you know we use this to identify those areas in which pollinators are most at threat and then we can then take actions to help those local pollinator communities to recover so we know that um, you know over 75% of all food crops is uh, are dependent on insect pollinators to, to varying extents. We know that one in three mouthfuls of food are dependent on insect pollinators. So you know clearly without um, without these uh, 
little bugs, we would be in, in quite a mess, you know, and I think it's even, and we think of it typically around food, but actually in terms of the value that insects and pollinators provide to um, to the global economy, it comes out in the region of, of, of half a trillion dollars, you know, and wow. that's from the raw materials, that's from uh, obviously the food and, and, and all the, the, those post-processing things that we, um, we take for granted. That's fantastic. Now, here's an interesting question. You're a small business, you're a tech business, you're a science business, and just this week, the government has changed the way it's organised itself so that there's a department uh, which is a department of uh, science, innovation and technology, which at face value sounds like it's just the kind of department that a business like yours needs to connect up with what the government and the, and the country's economic objectives should be. What do you think about that? I, I think it's a great step in the right direction. I think, you know, early stage fledgling technology businesses have a really unique set of requirements that are very different from, from other forms of businesses. And I think having a stronger voice to be able to champion those perspectives in the wider government will, I think, only help to to um, make sure these companies give the best chance to succeed. Now, you're an early startup business. How long have you been going and what kind of help have you had and could you do with? Uh, we've been very fortunate. So I set the company up in 2020, but we've been very fortunate to have um, quite a bit of um, financial support from from the government in the forms of grants. Um, we've also had um, mentoring and other forms of, of um, uh, support from from advisors that are, are supported by the government. So we've had we, we've been very fortunate. We've had a lot of support from from the government because this is an area which they're particularly keen on. But I think that um, you know there, there's there's always more that, that could be done. And I think you know um, if if uh, the government can help us to accelerate our growth and to grow faster. Then actually that will be will be great in terms of you know uh, more jobs more um, uh, you know more benefit to, to the to the wider economy, but also um, perhaps the, the arguably the biggest benefit will be the um, the environmental benefit. And we see you know there's lots of legislation coming through around the Environment Act and and DEFRA um, you know and changes to farm subsidies post you know Brexit. So so I'm really excited about this change. Actually, I think it will be um, be really one to look out for. Well, Casey, well done to you because, you know, it's, it's no mean feat. You, you, in less than three years, you've got eight, eight jobs created. That's growth. That's meaningful. Uh, that's a noble thing for a business to have done. And maybe you could be a case study for this policy. We'll come back to you soon, though. But, so stay on Thank the you. line. We'll come back to you at the end of the, the programme. Now, let's turn our attention to a slightly different subject, that of CSR and Corporate Social Responsibility, as it's known. Um, charities and uh, corporate uh, uh, social, social organisations, community interest companies and the like, are more and more prevalent in dealing with businesses now. It's not just about delivering services to end users, it's also about linking the business community to what they do. Now, here in our studio and down the line, we've got two great examples of Northern-based uh, charities that demonstrate the way in which business links together with their end objectives. First, let's talk to Michelle Cooper from the County Durham Community Foundation. A uh, quick elevator pitch for what the Community Foundation does before we talk about the issues. Um, yeah, I think first, thank you, Casey. You kind of took me back to my investment days in early stage tech. So it sounds a brilliant company and absolutely loved it. Uh, the Community Foundation effectively works with businesses, individuals, 
um, public sector as well. We raise money. We then get that out to very small grassroots charities who are at the forefront of the issues that we're seeing in society today. To be honest, we've been seeing them since the, the 27 years that we've been existing in existence. So grants that we will award very much addressing issues of poverty, the cost of living crisis. Um, we talk about fighting poverty and enriching lives. That is our remit. So uh, although a lot of our work is is sometimes quite harsh and we're supporting groups working in a very difficult place, we hear wonderful stories coming back about the impact of a small grant has in a community organization and how it has enriched somebody's lives. So fighting poverty, enriching lives. Okay, now that's uh, that's what you do and how you do it. And, and community foundations, are, are there is a, a, a sort of, unofficial network of them around the country so people might be watching this video or listening to this podcast in other parts of the north of England there are particularly in Yorkshire there are other community foundations aren't there yeah absolutely so our work focuses across County Durham and Tees Valley those are the two areas that we cover um, through this network of community foundation members there are 46 other community foundations. So you have Wales has their own, Scotland and, and across in Ireland as well. And then typically most community foundations are derived, uh, you know, drawn around county borders. So pretty much wherever you are, there is a community foundation. And actually, if you add all the community foundations up, we are about the fourth or fifth biggest grant maker across the UK. We'll come to the grant making in a moment, but let's talk about the finding money to make the grants from. Absolutely. I was privileged to be invited in autumn to your launch of the Poverty Hurts campaign. Very appropriate, given the cost of living issues that are being faced by communities across the country. This was in Durham. And what was interesting to me, uh, having attended my first launch of something of yours, was the depth and breadth of uh, people from the business community that you had. You had everyone from manufacturing firms to law firms. You had people who were retired. You had new, new young businesses. It was amazing. Now, how have you managed to engage so widely with businesses? Uh, it's word of mouth, a lot of it. So people see other actions and, there, and there's a desire to learn. There's different models through which people can engage. So um, in the startup world, there is something called the Founders Pledge. And one of our supporters effectively gave some money through that, uh, that route. So when you're a startup, you can't afford necessarily to give huge amounts of money. But effectively, once you grow and exit that business, then you have a mechanism and there's a formalized method. So I, I do work in the in the startup culture. I work with various business organizations across the, cult, um, the county. Um, I'm in, a member of business clubs so that we can engage and meet different businesses there. You then meet different businesses who actually have a passion around, um, it's kind of in their DNA. It's a phrase I use quite often and then we're a mechanism to help them live through their DNA. Um, if I take Darlington Building Society, they work on a profits pledge model. Um, we run a lot of wind farm community benefit funds if you're a renewable energy company. So some business come to us and then we actively find business as well who who wish to engage in the community but don't necessarily know how and we can provide that structured route to the community groups. I think that's an important point. We're going to talk to Helen in a minute and, and her, her offer is very clear. It's about older people. Your offer could be about young people. It could be about poverty. It could be about uh, addiction, health, yeah. that kind of thing. Um, now, 
the other thing you have is quite a powerful board. Uh, I know the chairman is uh, a very uh, respected uh, leader in, I think it's, he works for Deloitte, uh, and you have a very good board. Uh, is constructing a board fundamental to your success in the business world? Um, <laughs> do you know what? I'll, I'll, so for charities in general, I think how you go about constructing your board, you have to be very clear in what you want. And actually, sometimes it's hard for business leaders to, mm. to kind of manage that conflict of opening up their little black book. So I think you have to be very sensitive when you're working with your, you know, identifying trustees, be very honest with them. And ideally, I think, uh, identify the key skills that a trustee can bring. Right. Be very open and honest about how you would wish them to deploy those skills. Because it, it can be hard for them to say, can you go and tap up so-and-so, so-and-so, and can you go and talk to them? That's not really their skill. So, yes, the board is critical, but I think we have to be respectful as, as kind of charity leaders as well as about how you work with your trustees and ask them to, to, to be your ambassador, effectively, your advocate. OK, I'm going to bring Helen in in just a minute, I promise. But, but just very quickly, tell us about the success of this Poverty Hurts campaign, and it is a success, albeit the reason you've had to have it is a bad reason. It is a successful outcome. Yes, that, thanks for framing that, because it is a nightmare trying to explain it. So we set a target in November of raising £1 million to help local charities. To date, we have hit about £700,000. No sooner have we got that money in than we have been awarding it out as grants. We have been providing grants that are frankly keeping the doors open of, of charities so that they can help their communities and their clients. We've been funding projects that help people in difficulty and we've been providing finance that help individuals who may have some really complex lives and overcome their barriers. That's all done through charities though. We don't give any money indiv to individuals directly ourselves, but we do support charities. We have now awarded um, hundreds of thousands of pounds, and this is literally in months. And what we're finding, uh, we've helped over 30,000 people through this funding. And it's typically coming through at about 15 pounds per intervention is, is the impact that, you know, when people say I can't give much, I think we're able to demonstrate that actually every pound does count. And through the grassroots community organizations we support, they can make every pound make a difference. And we're really seeing that, £15, and you can change somebody's life with that. Well, congratulations so far, and I know it still concludes. You've got another 25% of your target to raise, so yeah. <laughs> congratulations so far. Uh, there Thank is you. something that joins both of you together uh, recently, which is the in the north of England, a TV transmitter burned down uh, mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, and my firm, full, full disclosure, my firm's helped the uh, PR and communications from the uh, large corporate that owned the transmitter and both you and Helen helped that organization in communicating with vulnerable people. Yeah. So Helen, engaging with business is a fundamental part of Age UK, not just serving elderly people. Absolutely. Um, what we were seeing when the mast went down was a tremendous effect on older people who really rely upon the television for company, for information. They're not getting out, they're not seeing people. So our helplines were just absolutely buzzing because people couldn't understand why their TVs weren't uh, no. working. And that's where we kind of you know, came together. And the company didn't have that kind of connection with the community and with the, with older people and we could provide that um, and it was really a match made in heaven wasn't it I mean it just worked beautifully mm. um, so we could support the organisation actually um, to actually 
communicate and, and let them know what was going on and what was going to happen. And equally, the, the, the company could support us. So, you know, we, we were worked. really busy. So, you know, we needed extra resources and they provided that. And, so Michelle, was, and Michelle's team was also helpful. Mm. Now, so moving on to the communication with business in general, mm. Um, mm. You, your base is in Darlington, but you cover a whole area yeah. of North Yorkshire as well. Yeah. What yeah. kind of links do you have with the business community? Um, not as strong as I would like because we're so busy sort of, you know, delivering services. But my background working in larger charities, I was head of uh, fundraising and partnerships. So it's something that I've done in my, in my past a lot. And it's something I really want to kind of create um, in, our, in the local charity I work in now. Um, but, you know, it, it's about supporting us. Of course, it's about donations. Every charity wants a bit of cash and donations. We're always, you know, running to the bone. But for me, it's also about having a really meaningful um, partnership and about supporting some of our events and fundraising events. It's about lending expertise, um, volunteering time, um, you know, advising, getting involved. I mean, I, I have um, businesses involved. I mean, mainly it is through trustees, but, you know, they provide some really great expertise, as, as uh, Michelle said. You know, that's that's really meaningful for us. Um, and, and oh, that's great. And I think it is important that you get this out of the business mm, relationship. Mm, but mm. Um, being blunt, what does the business get out of the relationship with you and with Michelle? I'm sure Michelle will have a stab at answering this as well. <laughs> well, for me, it's about... You know, I mean, it, it's mutually beneficial, isn't it? Because, you know, I have a very successful brand that actually can look quite good yes. for an organisation. No um, it's also about their, the, the, the company's customers realising that they care about the community because it's about and it's also I think it's that really certainly important. certainly the case in the TV transmitter. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and they genuinely did. I mean, I wouldn't have got involved if I hadn't sat down with the CEO and I really... Re, you know, he convinced me that he really did care and he really wanted to sort this out. So I was very, very you, you happy. You were quite a terrier in that meeting, actually. Surely you not. were, yes. <laughs> but you know, but, but I'm representing, you yeah. know, I'm representing older people and, and we've kind of got to, we've got to have that. Um, so it, and it's also great for employees as well. Um, you know, you see better employee satisfaction. Um, you know, they, they really believe in their organisation. So it's it's mutually beneficial, you know, for both sides, really. I mustn't let you go without a plug for something. Yes. You've got the Tees Valley Mayor coming to an after work event. Yes. Uh, 6th of March. That's right. So the first Monday of March. Yeah. I think that's right. That's right. Uh, tell me what the idea is and how it'll run. Where is it? So it's at our centre in Darlington, the town centre, Bradbury House. And the idea is, is just for me, it's a way, a way to engage with local corporates. I want to be talking about CSR. I want them to see what we can do. Because the other thing is, it's about using, we have a cafe and we have various other services. It's not, yes, great to have money and donations, but actually if you use us, if you hire some rooms in our building, if you come and um, you know, have your breakfast meetings in our cafe, that's giving me sustainable, you know, unrestricted income, which means I can do a lot more and, and provide more services to older people. So it's about showcasing what we're doing, our building. Um, I really, you know, it's about education around CSR, but also with having um, Ben there and also the leader of the council as well, Jonathan, um, it's about looking at the economic development of Darlington as well. So it's something Which you useful. are part of. You have a, a significant building yeah. in the town. Yeah. Thank you, Helen. Uh, Michelle, I'm going to throw that question I asked Helen uh, just over to you as well, because I'm sure you'll have your own way of putting it. So being candid, you're running a business, maybe Casey or myself are running a business. Why? Why get involved? Yeah, so I, I think Helen has answered it very well, I would add. And then maybe we can segue back to Casey. I can give you an example of a local company. Environment and climate was very important to them. 
trying to find ways for the, the, the community to engage in that. And we ran a greening communities project. So it aligned with their corporate objectives, gave them a way to engage with their communities on a really local level. And we got some fantastic nature, wildlife, bee-related projects even, Casey. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, it's a nice thing to do. It's a good thing to do, and it can really align with your corporate objectives. Casey, what do you have to say? I'm going to give you last word on today's programme. <laughs> what do you have to say about what Michelle and uh, Helen have said? I, I think I completely agree. And I think that um, we're moving into an era now, particularly as millennials and Gen Z come through, that actually you know, CSR is increasingly important and, and you know, consumers will put their money where the people you know, live and breathe their values. So I think the work that we've heard about today is, is, is tremendous and uh, hats off to both of them. Well, Casey, Michelle, Helen, thank you for taking part in this edition of Business Unmuted. We'll be back same time next week.